At the end of September, the Assembly held a hearing on the state's child welfare system, including the issues of mandatory reporting of child abuse and the disproportionate number of kids of color who end up in the system. To learn what lawmakers gleaned from the public input and how it might impact state policies moving forward, we're joined by Assembly Children and Families Committee Chair Andrew Hevesy, a Queens Democrat who led the recent hearing. Welcome back to the show, Assembly Member. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you having me again. So was this a routine hearing or was the focus in response to specific problems or trends that you've noticed? That's a great question. So uh, it was not a routine hearing. Um, We are uh, receiving reports about uh, some of the difficulties uh, with the mandated reporter system, um, which caused us to look back historically about how it was created. It was uh, um, incentivized by the CAPTA legislation uh, from the federal government in 1974, which provides money uh, to states on the condition that they have a mandated reporter system. Uh, And we uh, looked back at that and then and doing a quick analysis on how that mandated reporter system is um, uh, operating today. And you can see there are huge racial disparities um, in the system. Uh, Black and brown um, uh, communities are exponentially more likely to be caught up in the child welfare system. Uh, And then in addition, we wanted to take a look at, um, uh, are we making kids safer uh, by the use of mandated reporters? So this was not a routine hearing. Um, uh, This was something that we thought it would be smart to take a look into because we want to avoid as many children and families from uh, having contact with the child welfare system as possible. Well, given, though, that child abuse or maltreatment are often linked to economic trends, would it make sense that there would be a disproportionate number of black and brown kids in the system since they are disproportionately living in poverty? So there is a certain logic to that, having uh, those communities be affected just because of poverty, but I think it goes well beyond that. I think there are implicit bias um, that is uh, a cause uh, of of some families being uh, in contact with the system um, when they shouldn't, and that's uh, implicit bias uh, of the mandated reporters, sometimes of the CPS workers. Uh, Maybe it's the person who takes the call at the state central registry. So, So I think it's both, but you raise a really important issue, which is one of the things that we learned through this hearing is we are consistently, and when I say we, I say the state of New York is consistently conflating the issues of neglect of a child with poverty. Uh, And that's something we really need to get a handle on because we are uh, being punitive uh, with parents um, uh, who are in many cases just poor. Um, And uh, we are ripping their families apart and that violates those families' uh, right to stay together, right to raise your uh, uh, children um, uh, and uh, be a part of the American society as everybody else is without having your family ripped apart. Um, So yeah, these are real issues uh, that that we're gonna be looking to address in the upcoming legislative session. So the implicit bias that you mentioned might prompt a mandated reporter to report abuse or neglect when it isn't necessarily occurring. But in instances where it is occurring, did you find that one of the problems here is that the knee-jerk response, say, from the state is to immediately put kids into, say, the foster care system, as opposed to trying to figure out how to address maybe the conditions uh, that are leading to, say, neglect or or maltreatment, trying to, I guess, be more supportive than uh, a stick approach? 
You are correct in that analysis. I will. Um, I want to make the distinction right off the bat that this is um, what's occurring in the child welfare system is not a function of um, the individual worker or um, those who work at ACS or uh, Child Protective Services, but it's a system that is designed with um, um, some outer barriers that are causing the current um, uh, construct of families being. Um, uh, mostly from certain communities being impacted. Now, some, some of the barriers make sense. So for example, if there is a call uh, to the state central registry, it makes perfect sense that uh, that case will have to be investigated within 24 hours. It makes sense, perfect rule. Um, but the problem is um, we have too wide a front door of people who are getting calls made about their families to the state central registry. So that uh, original um, uh, rule that made perfect sense a minute ago doesn't make as much sense because there's tons of families, about 10,000 a year, who are getting caught up uh, with calls into the state central registry that then have to be investigated that wind up being unfounded that the parents uh, there was no abuse or neglect um, uh, that could be attributable to those parents um, and because that um, uh, you have that rule at the beginning that we have to investigate within uh, 24 hours that means that resources and caseworkers are being diverted away um, from kids who really need protection via the system so uh, we have a, a number of problems and i think they need to be addressed in some coming legislative session did you hear anything at the hearing about this idea that parents, when there is some sort of visit from someone in the child protective system, that they should be made aware of their rights and that we need to enshrine what might be akin to Miranda rights in the criminal justice system, but for visitation? Every parent who spoke, and I think there were about 20 of them who testified at the hearing, all of them uh, to a person uh, agreed that the mandated reporter system um, is is not working well. They also believe um, that they should have had access to their rights and their behavior would have been different when they were dealing with CPS. Um, I myself am a supporter of a uh, colleague's bill. Latrice Walker has a bill um, to have uh, the uh, parents' rights, which are constitutional, by the way, read to them before they have to open the door uh, to a CPS worker. Now, something interesting came about at the at the hearing where um, Commissioner of ACS, Jess Danhauser, who uh, is a, a really good man and I consider her a friend, um, is piloting a program where they are giving information to the parents prior to uh, opening the door uh, to the CPS worker, um, but it doesn't contain everything that's in the, the Latrice Walker bill. So from my perspective, um, the information we gleaned from the parents and many of the others who testified, we're talking about experts and advocates uh, and legal providers, almost all of them, uh, suggested that um, having rights read to you before you open the door would have changed uh, a lot of behavior and it would prevent what I am uh, most concerned about, which is the over-separation of families. I believe in New York State, we are uh, separating families um, almost like a factory, uh, consistently um, separating families, way too many that don't need to be separated. And we have to remember that while we are in the business of fighting against both abuse and neglect, um, that family separation is also a trauma that causes long-term consequences to these kids. So I believe that we are separating families way too often in New York State. And the Miranda Rights Bill from my colleague Latrice Walker would go a long way in, uh, uh, in preventing some of those um, circumstances. Getting back to the idea of mandated reporters, there are 
constantly bills being introduced in the legislature that would add professions to the list of jobs that are required to report child abuse if they suspect it. What, if anything, did you hear about the need to increase that list, or was there more of a discussion on scaling back the people who are mandated reporters? So if you were listening just to the hearing, um, you would have heard person after person giving testimony saying that we have too many mandated reporters. And a lot of them were saying that their responsibilities, mandated reporters, also flies in the face of their professional ethics and guidelines. Uh, for example, there are hospital workers that um, if they uh, have access to a prenatal drug test, um, that they are required to call CPS, which actually is not the rule. Um, but it also, um, uh, you know, you're you're uh, attributing behavior from a parent to a kid that wasn't even born yet. Um, and then uh, having, uh, you know, a case uh, put on that parent, which is difficult for them uh, prospectively with employment uh, and certainly with access to their kids. So if you were just straight listening to the hearing, um, this was an abolish the mandated reporter system hearing. At one after the other, you had people testify to that. However, I do have colleagues who are in good conscience come. Uh, consistently say, will you please move my bill for this profession or that profession? And there is a, is a disconnect there and is a significant problem. Um, I am of the opinion that uh, the mandated reporter system, while I understand the intent of it, it was also created in one of the most racist ways um, uh, possible um, by a federal government um, that was treating white women and black women differently. Um, so the system itself, I'm not sure um, that adding any new mandated reporters to the extensive list, list by the way, there's 45 professions there now, um, is, is the right way to go. Any other low-hanging fruit that emerged from this hearing in terms of things that can be uh, addressed and maybe don't require a, a lot of money or a real drastic change in attitudes and, and policies? Yeah, there's there's one. Um, I call it a low hanging fruit just because politically we've moved on it. So I, I am carrying a bill to eliminate uh, anonymous calls into the state central registry. Um, the the logic behind that is we have been experiencing over the last couple of years about 10,000 calls uh, to this SCR uh, that come through anonymously and their rates of being indicated or substantiated are incredibly low. Um, and then on top of that, you hear the flip side from survivors of domestic violence in particular, who are saying that the state central registry, a call to that registry has been used by their harassers um, to put a child welfare case on them. And that has implications for the kid, that has implications for, for the family. So the low hanging fruit would be the anonymous reporter, um, uh, the elimination of the ability for a person to call anonymously into the register. Um, that has moved in our house through the committee process. It's currently on third reading, which means uh, it, in January, we hope in January, February, it uh, uh, could be moved and we're hoping that the Senate follows suit. But we need to close the front door, um, not only on these anonymous calls, but but these anonymous calls in particular that wind up being harassing calls um, to destroy the lives of people you're angry with. I mentioned uh, domestic violence um, uh, survivors, also intimate partner violence. And even we've gotten reports of, you know, my landlord is pissed at me. So he called the state central registry uh, and put a case on us. So we really need to get a handle on that. That's the low hanging fruit that I, uh, I believe we'll be going after at the beginning of this upcoming legislative session. Well, conversely, though, is there an argument to be made that 
the type of reporting that we're talking about where people do have anonymity in some situations is resulting in abuse being detected that otherwise wouldn't be? And if that is the case, does there need to be some sort of happy medium or do we just get rid of it altogether? So great question. So the bill um, uh, puts gets rid of it altogether. And, and it's based off of some experiences in a number of other states where they have eliminated anonymous reporting and had not seen a significant uptick in the um, numbers of kids abused. But you're right. There is a concern in particular I have, and this was raised by someone I trust who testified at the hearing that um, you want to, um, if possible, create a mechanism for children to self-report. Mm. Uh, and the chances of a child under 18 uh, giving their name is less likely. So we have some work to do and some, uh, uh, some thinking to do. But the legislation uh, in and of itself makes sense. Um, But I am absolutely open to further discussions based off of the hearing uh, about how to protect kids, um, uh, even though you want to get away with the anonymous reporter system. Well, we've been speaking with Assemblymember Andrew Hevesy. He's a Queens Democrat who chairs his chamber's committee on children and families. Assemblymember, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. It was always a pleasure talking to you, Dave. Thank you so much. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Press Room is provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. UnionStrongNY.com for more information.